because we want to lift our eyes to the Lord. To allow God to lift others through us. Because God's grace is greater than the gravity of life. Many years ago, I uh, stood in the garden of a convent in New Jersey and performed my first wedding. And it was, uh, I'll never forget the, the day. I remember the couple standing in front of me. What I had no idea of at that moment as I married these two is that they would found a ministry in Malawi working amongst the people in the poorest nation in Africa that would transform lives and one day gather Jenny Garst into the circle, as Sue Ann shared. And even more mind-blowing to me is the fact that that marriage would produce Jordan Heinzel Nelson, now on our staff, who is at this hour playing the violin magnificently in the service across the building. And if you get a chance to go online today and just check out the classic worship service of Christ Church, you can hear some of the most spectacular violin playing you've ever enjoyed. Uh, So isn't it amazing what God does? He just uh, is capable of producing, as we sang this morning, grace upon grace, and often in unexpected places and ways. Uh, If you're new to the life of Christ Church, we're just really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming and taking a chance on this place today. Uh, You have uh, wound up in uh, the middle of a series that we're doing we call Lift, that is one of the Uh, from time to time, major movements of our church towards an even higher level of service and stewardship. And uh, I want to just say a little bit about this, just in case some of you are entering into the picture with us today. We have weathered a season, a tough couple of years as a a society. Uh, We as a church are rising out of that now in wonderful ways and asking the question, how can we be used by God to lift even more people towards their God-given potential? And uh, to do that, to perform that kind of lift, it, it takes everybody to be involved, and uh, your, your good heart, your good mind, your volunteer energies, your leadership skills, your prayers, your uh, word of mouth, encouragement of other people is, is part of that movement that uh, will allow us as a church to lift even more people. But, but in this particular season of time, uh, in a way that we don't typically do, we're thinking about how our stewardship reflects that discipleship, how, how the way we use our material resources can uh, propel us to an even higher level of influence for good uh, in, in the world. And uh, we don't talk about money a lot here at the church. We are talking about it in this particular season. Uh, and um, before I jump into the message that I have for today, I wanna just bring everybody up to speed and make sure everybody understands what it is we are trying to do with the resources that we're committing to, to the Lyft Initiative. Um, As a result of stretching our faith and our discipleship, our prayer is that the Lyft Initiative will underwrite all of the normal good stuff that our church is about, all of the regular ministry and mission outreach of our church for two years. That's the number one thing we're doing. It's just 
basic stuff at maybe a little higher level than we've done it in the past. And then we also hope to take on a few special projects, one-time special projects through the Lyft Initiative that will help us uh, build our capacity to serve and to lift even more people in days to come. So I need to underline this part because I think there's, I've talked to some folks who, who have not uh, really taken this part in. The majority of what we're doing with Lyft is, is just to keep supporting and supplying the worship services, the, the growth group ministries, the, the, the servant care and the pastoral care and the, the uh, mission partner support, uh, the hospitality ministries of the church as it is today, but with a little higher investment this time around to keep up with inflation and to allow us to do some uh, value-added things within our core ministries. We're, we're trying to, to, to do a better job of, of engaging people in the discipleship pathway. We're hoping to uh, grow even more group life for the church. We're advancing in, in our digital outreach and, and leadership development. Um, but, the, but the most important part of what we're doing with Lyft is just to support all of those core ministries and mission. Uh, we're also taking on just a few special projects, okay? So, and, and let me go back and just say, just to do the normal stuff of our church costs about $13 million a year. Hard to believe, right? But we're a complicated church. We do classic services and contemporary services and overseas mission and local mission. And, and because of all that, it, it, it can, to, to support it at the level we currently do, it's about 13. Over two years, it's about $26 million. And Lyft is a two-year uh, adventure. Um, on top of that, we're trying to do these one-time special projects, and I want to tell you a little bit about those projects. First of all, we want to invest in kids and families on a deeper level. Uh, I heard a statistic that I've quoted many, many times over the years, that, that something like 80% of the people who will become followers of Jesus in their life will do so before age 20 that uh, only 20% of people become followers of Jesus after age 20. That was the old statistic. There's been recent research on this. It's now, it's now 90% of people. In other words, there, there's a small percent of chance that people will become a, a serious follower of Jesus after age 20 if it hasn't been sown into them in some way before 20. So we think it's, we love older people. I got older this week. I turned 64 this week. How ancient is that? But, and, and thank goodness we love all, all the ages of the church. Um, but we are really serious about investing in kids and families here. And so um, there are a couple of specific extra mile things we're trying to do. We're trying to restart our preschool so that we can uh, meet kids at the earliest age and help them get a really good spiritual foundation. Uh, we are trying to uh, hire a, an, what we're calling an all abilities director, somebody who can help train staff and volunteers to, to serve families that have got special needs kids uh, in the families because we just love, we think Jesus loves all people and he wants all of us included. And for those who, who are working with special needs issues, it can be, it can be, a, it can be heavy. And, and we wanna come alongside uh, those wonderful families. Uh, we're also uh, seeking to do some renovation work on the, on the facilities, the children and youth facilities of our church. We have more than 500 kids here every week. 
involved in some part of our, of our uh, youth ministry, our ch children's ministry, and we haven't touched the facilities that they've been in for like close to 20 years. And we would like to sort of do some updating of those, those facilities. So kids and families is, is priority uh, one within the special project list. Secondly, we're hoping to establish what we call a lift center. And that is gonna be a permanent home for our food pantry, which now shuffles around in all kinds of ways. Uh, we're gonna put the clothing closet ministry we have uh, together there as well. We're gonna surround it with some special uh, additional ministries, need meeting ministries, that, so that we can help more and more individuals and families move from a subsistence level, survival, just survival level, to a thriving level. And, and we have a plan for doing that, and we're, we're trying to find a place that we can house it somewhere along the Roosevelt Road corridor, and that's part of our investment. Thirdly, um, I don't know if you have a house that has any unaddressed uh, needs in it, but you know, over the many years, a building gets older and older, and uh, even your driveway gets older and older, and it has to be you know, repaired. So we have a long list of deferred maintenance projects, ranging from leaky roofs to to degrading pavement, to you know, carpeting issues, and, and some of our, our boring but important mechanical systems need to be fixed. And we'd like through the LIFT initiative to help uh, address those if we have the funds. And finally, we wanna drop our mortgage down even further than it uh, currently is, um, and free up the funds that are going to uh, interest payments uh, for ministry and mission in the years to come. Uh, and so that's, again, one of those one-time things. Altogether, these special projects aggregate to about $7.5 million if, if we can do them. So our total dream budget over two years is $34 million. That's the $26 million for just the basic stuff, and then the seven and a half for the special projects. Uh, and we will adjust um, based on our budget on based on what God chooses to provide uh, through, through this initiative. Next Sunday is gonna be an incredible day here at the church because um, I hope you'll be there. I, if you, in fact, I encourage you, even if you're in the habit of being online and you live in the neighborhood, come be part of the physical in-person ex experience next week. It's, we're calling it Commitment Sunday. And on that particular day, uh, we're hoping and praying that everyone who calls Christ Church their spiritual home will, will as an act of devotion to God, turn in one of these cards. And, and just declare on the bottom line of the card um, what you pray by God's grace to be able to do uh, over the next two-year period, all of 23, all of 24, to, to be part of making possible all of what I've just described. And uh, we'll, we'll do that at different levels, that's okay. But we want 100% of us to be involved, who call Christ Church our spiritual home, to be involved in, in the joy of... Um, of making this kind of ministry and human impact uh, possible. So look forward to having you come. Um, thanks for praying earnestly over that card and what it is that God uh, may uh, invite you to, to do personally. Well, I will tell you that when our leadership team first started uh, dreaming about some of these projects and the needs that we saw, I was, I was, I was a little scared. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you about that in ways that I will be even more transparent about next week. Um, I, I struggled with what this would mean for Amy and me uh, to, to, to stretch again, um, to be part of this initiative. Uh, I was also aware that the pandemic has left us with fewer people around uh, than, than before. A lot of people have, 
have moved into care facilities or, into, or have moved to Florida or heaven. Um, and they're not the same place, by the way. They're different places. <laughs> but but um, a lot of people have moved. So, you know, we're, we, will there be enough people to help us make this this kind of a lift, I wondered at the time. Throw on top of that, you know, you had a stock market decline, you've got a general anxiety about the economy, and it really felt like this was a pretty heavy lift to try and take on at this particular time. But, but God changed me in this respect. God, God really turned my heart around, like we sang in, in, a little while ago. Um, and he built my conviction, it is actually a very good time <laughs> to advance and not retrench as a church. And, and one of the ways that God got to me on this part, uh, on this point, was because he just began to impress upon me how many people are feeling the gravity of life. You know, how many people are dealing with depression and anxiety and, and uh, other health issues? How many people are, are, are feeling the chaos of life and looking for uh, guidance and support? How many uh, younger families are just dealing with so much uh, and, and older people alike? And I thought, you know, this is the time. Our church needs to be stronger than ever. Uh, and then I was really hit by the fact that we're living in a time of so much moral chaos and so much division and fighting in the world. And I thought, you know, this is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives, gives moral principles and vision that are good and beautiful. And, a, and, it's, and he calls us into a kind, of, a kind of community that can embrace diversity and, and help us work and live together. And I thought, man, there is a need for what a local church does in our world today. And I want our church to be stronger than ever. But one of the most powerful ways that God got to me in the midst of the fears that I had or anxieties about trying to do this thing in, in difficult times was through a story I found in the Bible in, in one of the letters that Paul writes to the Christians long ago. And I, that's what we're going to do the remainder of the time. I want to take us to the scriptures and invite us to look at a, at a portion of Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. We call it Corinthians in the Bible, right? Uh, the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter, chapter 8. So if you've got your own Bible on your phone or physical copy of it, this would be a good time to open up, and we're going to walk through this um, story together. And let me just set the context, if I may. In the late uh, first century, um, the, uh, the original church that, that uh, was founded, it started in Jerusalem. That's where the very first church began, in Jerusalem. Uh, it was struggling under terrible persecution. Um, the, the first church that happened that came together on the day of Pentecost, you can read about that in Acts chapter two, right there in Jerusalem, which was an amazing collection of people. Um, that church, which then sent out um, the message of the gospel to the rest of the Roman uh, empire and other churches began to spring up, that original founding church of the whole movement of Christianity was, was really being crushed. Uh, people were being, uh, they were being ostracized, that Christians were losing their jobs, they were being arrested, they were being tortured. It was a really agonizing time uh, of pressure for the church. And so the Apostle Paul, knowing about this, and he wasn't in Jerusalem at the time, but he heard about this need, decided to send out an all-points bulletin to all of the Christians everywhere and say, hey, can we help with this? Can we do something for the mother church can, 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 let's raise some money to help lift these good people 
above the gravity of life. That's the way I might put it. But this was the sentiment behind Paul's thinking. So Paul sends out a number of his representatives to deliver this message to the churches of the, of the uh, Roman Empire. And, and one of his assistants, a guy named Titus, um, brings news of this, this initiative to, to the church in, in cosmopolitan Corinth. Now, uh, Corinth is a city on the water, uh, set right along a, a major body of water, roughly halfway between Athens and Sparta. Um, and at that time, Corinth was one of the largest, most prosperous commercial centers of the ancient world. It was the Chicago of ancient Greece, but with better weather and, and, and a superior football team, I think. <laughs> Maybe not the football team, but they're definitely the better weather. And, and so Corinth um, there is relatively speaking, compared to most of the other parts of the ancient world and certainly most of the other churches in the ancient world, Corinth is a high capacity community. A high capacity church was in Corinth uh, in terms of talented, educated, reasonably um, resourceful people. Um, so apparently when, when Paul sends out this message uh, through Titus, um, the Corinthians like are right on it. They hear about the need and they give immediately an offering to, to help with the need back in Jerusalem. And so Paul writes them in 2 Corinthians 8, um, amongst other things, just to say, hey, thank you for that. So I, I quote him here. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Paul's saying, in effect, yay, good going. Thank you so much. You could have ignored this need. It could have, my appeal could have gotten lost in the, in the pile of other concerns that you have to address, but you didn't. You, you immediately responded. Thank you for doing this, even faster than anybody else did. But Paul also knows something else. Paul also knows that, that what the Corinthians had done with that initial offering was not close <laughs> to what they were capable of doing. Uh, not even close to what they were capable of actually doing. And I think it made him sad. I think it made him sad for two reasons. One, because the need in the Jerusalem church was so great and, and the Corinthians could really help to meet it if they'd, but they'd only given nominally towards the need. And secondly, he thought the Corinthians were missing out on the, one of the greatest joys of the Christian life, which is to have your life be a conduit, not a container, a river, not a reservoir, right? But to, to, be, to be somebody through whom the grace of God moved and transformed the lives of others for good. And he wanted them to experience that. It's one of the most important parts of their discipleship. And so Paul goes out on a limb. And he really goes out on a limb, as pastors sometimes do with people they love, and he challenges them, I mean, pretty strenuously. And here's what he says. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. I'm just gonna go on a flyer here. I'm gonna tell you, I think I know something that would be even better for you than, than you've done so far. And, and then he says, finish the work. You made a start, finish it. Finish the work according to your means, he says. Now that's really an important line. I wanna emphasize, on it, emphasize it because he actually hits it again in the next verse when he says, the gift is acceptable 
according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Now, this is a really important biblical stewardship principle. I think one of the, I, I, I can think of many times when I felt, when I've been invited to give, I think, ah, oh, gosh, what I can give with my, it's just not enough. I mean, compared to what some other people give me, I, I feel badly that I'm not able to give more at this particular time. God, will, God says, don't worry about that. <laughs> it, it's about what you are capable of doing. That, that, that that's my big concern. God does not compare the amount we give to, to anybody else's amount. Giving is always personal. It's always relative. It's about what we do with what we have. With what we have. And I, I remember the famous story. You may remember it. It gets recorded in Mark chapter 12. And, and Jesus has gone to the temple. And, and people are coming up to give their offering. And in the temple, they had these a big metal um, urns that people would drop their offerings into. And Jesus sees this uh, Pharisee come up, this religious leader come up, and he reaches into his money bag and he dumps a whole bunch of money in. And it makes a, it's a metal container. It makes a cacophony, a, a huge racket as, it, as all that money goes into the thing. And you can see everybody turning around and being really impressed by the giving of the Pharisee. And then this little old lady comes up. She's a widow. And she's really poor. And she, she puts in what are called mites, two mites, meaning the smallest coin, just two of them. And they, they barely make a plink, plink, <laughs> nothing compared, no big noise. And Jesus whips his head around. And he says to his disciples, did you see that? You see that? That's generosity. Because she had so little and she gave what she she gave so much proportionally compared to what she actually had, compared much more, much more than that other guy. That's the picture of, of generosity. It's, with, it's what we do with what we have. Um, it's, what, it's about, I guess, what we could do with what we have if our heart was really surrendered to God. That's what generosity is. So then Paul goes on in his letter and he, and he talks about that kind of heart. And he tells the Corinthians about this group of believers who are currently doing the most amazing thing for the needs in Jerusalem. And, and I imagine uh, the folks in Corinth would have thought, well, maybe that's us. It wasn't them. And they, they might have thought, well, it's probably, probably the folks in Rome. Nope, wasn't them. Or maybe the Athenian Christians or the Ephesian Christians, these big prosperous areas of the empire? Nope. It was the Macedonian Christians. It was the people living up in the equivalent, the ancient world equivalent of Appalachia who had done the most to address the needs in, in, in Jerusalem. And it was amazing because they're poor and they're under persecution themselves and yet they're the ones that do the most amazing kind of lift. And so he says this, brothers and sisters, talking to the Corinthians, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's what he wants to recognize. The first thing he wants to know is, is this is a God thing that's happening. God has given this amazing grace of giving, this incredible heart to the Macedonians. I want to tell you about that, he says. Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
When we were thinking about the Lyft initiative, I was thinking, oh, we're under a severe trial today, right? I mean, we're having economic challenges. We've got issues in our society. Um, we just come out of a pandemic. We're in a time of severe trial. No, we're not. No, we're not. When you look around the world, when you compare it with, with others and what, and what other people are dealing with, we are not in a time of severe trial. The Macedonians were. And in the midst of this, they show this amazing generosity. And Paul goes on and says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And then this is the part that really blows me away. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. So I read between the lines there. I don't know for sure, but you know what it sounds like? It sounds like Paul didn't bother sending the message to Macedonia. He figured, these folks, there's no way they can give. And yet somehow the word got to them. And they urgently pleaded for this privilege of sharing in the service. Years ago, I, um, I spent two of the most unforgettable weeks of my life in South America. My brother Jeff uh, was working for the U.S. Agency for International Development in Ecuador, and he was doing a research project amongst the uh, very, very poor Quechua Indian people that live high in the mountains of Ecuador. And uh, to conduct the, this research project, he had to go to all these little villages and befriend people and, and, and get answers to these, to these questions. So he'd been there doing this for the better part of a year when I joined him and spent two weeks with him. And we, I rode around on the back of his motorcycle up these little switchbacks and the mountain paths and through these little villages. And one late afternoon, uh, we're, doing, we're together and we're way up in the mountains and we, uh, we're, go, we're going to, to dinner at the home of, of, a, of a couple that he was very fond of. And I remember going into this little house and, and it was like made out of scavenged wood planks um, I mean, you know, the, you could see through the, whole, the, the, the slats and, and, and there was a tin roof and a dirt floor and it was extremely um, different than the world I had come from. And, uh, and the, the woman of the house was, was, was cooking over this kind of makeshift uh, fire device she had and they were making the meal and we were encouraged to sit down and we sat at this, at this uh, table that was like a, a picnic table, only nowhere near as nice as that. Um, and, and our hosts come over and we're both, Jeff and I are on, on one side of the table on the bench and, and they set down s these steaming bowls of this reddish orange, who knows? <laughs> and, a, and a little kind of crust of bread that, that went with it. And, uh, and then the couple came over and sat on the bench opposite us on the table, just sat down and just smiled at us. So I waited, you know, for them to get their bowls and bring them out and, you know, I was gonna be polite and, uh, and they didn't get up. And they just sat there smiling. I didn't speak any, a word of Spanish. Uh, Jeff spoke it fluently and Jeff leans over and whispers to me, he says, eat, eat it, time to eat. And, and then it hits me. There's not enough for us to eat and them to eat. And they're giving us everything they have.
and they're joyful about it. Paul says, I want you to know about the grace. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. And when I looked at the smiles on the faces of those two people sitting across the table from me, I went, oh, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in this house. I've never forgotten it. It strikes me how incredibly kindly and patiently Paul talks to the Corinthians. Um, because he has, in a sense, he's been to the mountain. He's been to that shack. He knows the heart of the Macedonians. <laughs> And he's talking to these people that are just so much more capable uh, in a material sense. He's met the Macedonian heart and he so much wants the Corinthians to have this kind of heart too. And so he gently but firmly calls the Corinthians and he basically says, rise. <laughs> rise to your potential. Rise to your potential. Just as you excel in everything else, in your faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, he says. In other words, you, you're, you're tremendous stewards of so many things in your life. I mean, you're great leaders, you're people of wonderful hospitality, you're, you're, you're creative, you're marvelous parents, you do incredible volunteer work in all different places. So be excellent in those ways also as stewards of your money in the face of the need, according to what you have, not to what you don't have, but according to what you have, excel also in this grace of giving, Paul says. Here's a personal question for you, and I'm almost done. Have you ever contemplated the role that giving plays in lifting you to your God-given potential. I know we think a lot about what we could do for other people. Have you ever thought about what growing in generosity does for us, for our own hearts? I, I, I was sitting at another table um, more recently um, in our conference room here, and I was with a group of, of, of five guys and, and there was a question ha hanging in the air. And the question hanging in the air was, what do you feel God's calling you toward in the next season of your life? What do you think he's inviting you toward? And one of the guys thought for just a second and he said, you know, I, I think he's calling me to invest, to, to move more towards my family and less towards my work, <laughs> to be more engaged with my family. And there was nods of approval around the, the room. And then the other guy said, you know, I think that, um, I think God's calling me to, to do more nonprofit work. Uh, use my abilities to do more nonprofit work. Again, murmurs of approval. Third guy says, I think he is calling me to, 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 to get my company more involved in serving out in the wider community. Uh, and I, I would like to be able to say that our company serves the community. And guys were pleased with that remark. And then the fourth guy said something that sort of wrapped up a sentiment that everybody was really trying to express. I think God's calling me to move 
from success to significance. And everybody really loved that. He'd put it into words, from success to significance. And each of these guys, you know, had been, were successful in leadership and material terms. Um, that would make me feel good, he, he, he said, to, be, to, to do more significant things. And then the fifth guy spoke. And everybody around the table knew it. This guy, who was the oldest guy at the table, had had a more significant impact on more different spheres of life than anybody else around the table. And that's saying something. And he says, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my life was about success and what was in it for me. But I, I honestly think a lot of my, of my significance has also been about me. It's, about, it's been about how good I would feel, how other people would look at me if they knew I was involved in these charitable things. Uh, I think that what God's moving me toward is surrender to a life that's not about me at all. That's all about him. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the Macedonians. Paul, Paul says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Their first move was a movement of surrender to God and service was the natural outcome of that once the surrender had happened. Uh, and I, I just am thinking to myself, this is a really helpful idea to think more about what surrender looks like. I, I know that surrender is not a word we like very often or even use in positive terms. No, nobody wants to see the Ukrainian forces surrender to, to the Russian army today. At least nobody likely listening to me now feels that way. Um, there were tears this week in a lot of places when we heard that Tom Brady had surrendered to age, right? <laughs> I mean, people were upset about this. Um, in earthly terms, surrender often seems synonymous with loss or decline or defeat. But in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, surrender means gain and ascendance and victory. That's what surrender means. Surrender it means saying, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Surrender means, not my bowl be filled, but your bowl be filled, dear friend. Surrender, surrender means, it's not about me. It's about your grace and your glory. Let that be supreme. Surrender means excelling, not in lavishing anything upon ourselves, but in just lifting other people up because of him. Does that make sense? That's what surrender is. So I asked last week, you know, what, what are you focused on? I told you that story about the, the guy that was so focused on the beautiful and virtuous woman that he became like her. Um, what are you focused on? What are your, what's your vision on? Where is God trying to move you? Um, I want to follow I want to follow where God leads me. If I get a message from God, I'd like you to do this, I want to say yes, I will do it. I want to keep trusting him with 
to provide for me. I, I, I want to prioritize him in a very significant way. And I also want to, to learn how to surrender more. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I want to be his. That's what we are. We're the bride of Christ. We're the church. And I want to, I want to surrender to him. That married couple in the mountains of Ecuador, those Macedonians, they remain a luminous, inspiring example in my own mind, as St. Paul would say, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So what are you going to excel at in the days to come? Will it be success? Will it be your significance? What would it look like for you and for me to say, no, 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 no. In all of my relationships, with all of my resources, wherever I go, I will surrender to the purposes of God as he makes them clear to me. And how does that orientation shape your response to the, to the particular in invitation that is this lift initiative? What if this isn't just some capital campaign? What if this isn't just a fundraiser? What what if this is actually God's personal invitation to me and to you to rise to our full potential and to help others rise as well? At least that seems to be the, the heart orientation of this couple that I want you to, to listen to as we hear their story right now. My name is Todd Berry. My name is Sally Berry, and we've been coming to church here uh, for almost 40 years. I was a seeker when I first came to Christ Church. A colleague from work twisted my arm to come to the singles group. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on a retreat from that singles group. 30 years ago, the adult education pastor here at church asked if I would start a ministry for adults with disabilities. I have about 20 students right now. We meet on Sunday mornings and we study the Bible. We have a great time of fellowship. We share lots of laughs, but my passion is to present the gospel to them and be involved in their spiritual development. Sally's on the phone during the week talking to parents, talking to caregivers, talking to group homes. It isn't just a show up and teach the class. She does it with passion. I'm just seeing lots and lots of growth in their spiritual lives. We have a gal in our class and she's nonverbal. She has a real heart for people. And her mom shared with me a story that uh, they were at Yorktown Mall. They were by the fountain and there was a lady sitting there and it looked like she was crying and Michelle my student went over to her and motioned prayer. And she sat down with her and um, I can't not believe that the Holy Spirit was working in her heart. It hits home that what's happening in our classroom is making a difference in the lives of our students. About 10 years ago, I went with five other women on a mission trip to Romania, and we were involved with a mission there that our church supported. I always thought that was a real step out in faith for you. Yes, <laughs> to break out of my routine a little bit and to encounter 
situations that I haven't encountered before or that I haven't prepared for. And the Lord has really helped me to see that everything doesn't have to be in a neat order. Over the years, my prayer life has really been strengthened and deepened because of that. I look back when uh, I lost my job in 2008. It was one of those things in your life that you didn't see coming, but God was leading and I was stepping out into something that I didn't expect. When we were first married, Sally was insistent that we really need to consider about tithing. That was a new concept for me. That was the start of understanding that it does all belong to God and we need to give a significant percentage of our income and that's something that we take very seriously. One thing that I've appreciated about the LIFT initiative is the extents of the planning that goes into it, the sense of comfort I get that the leadership has thought very hard about where the funds are gonna be going, that we feel the funds are helping to grow God's kingdom and what we're doing here. For me, when I heard that they were going to add an all abilities director, that's exciting for me to think about what that might look like in the years to come. I would encourage people to not think about when I'm generous, what's in it for me, but to think about how am I going to expand the kingdom? It's the strength of Christ Church that we're always looking forward. That's important to us.